Hey, movie fans, Dimitri Panos here for Popcorn Talk Network's Anatomy of a Movie. Autobots Transform! Today we will be dissecting Transformers The Last Night. Welcome to Popcorn Talk, featuring movie discussion, news, and interviews. Popcorn Talk. We talk movies. And now, here's Popcorn Talk's Anatomy of a Movie. Hey, hello, everybody and movie fans. Today, we are going to tackle the, uh, well, what is being reported as the last Transformer movie to be directed by Michael Pay. Uh, so so very he much, keeps saying. So he keeps saying. Uh, and, uh, well, we're, gonna, we're open for discussion. Uh, I find Transformers to be very polarizing, uh, but they're movies, ultimately. So that's what makes it all the more fun. And today with me, my awesome co-host, Marissa Serafini. Hello, everyone. Hello, movie fans. I'm back. She's back. <laughs> and boy, howdy, is she back. Hey, before we get started, I wanted to talk about, uh, I wanted to give some lip service to a fan who writes, who who commented last week. I think it was on, um, uh, what was, uh, I forget, what movies we've done. We've done so many movies. It was one of the comedies uh, that, that, that we did last Rough week. Night. Rough Night. Rough Night, yeah. Uh, and Rough uh, Night. Foreigner. Uh, is the person's uh, name. Uh, at first, I thought it was the band, uh, but I believe it's just the person. <laughs> and uh, we got into this really cool conversation and found out through the conversation that uh, from Mexico, and uh, the person was lamenting on the fact that they don't get... Sometimes they don't open the movies the same time that they open here, but Foreigner watches our show regardless. Yeah, here in the uh, States. Thank you. So, And we're number one in Mexico. That's Are great. We? So, Foreigner, thank you for, for watching and thanks for writing. That's awesome. Mexico's huge. Yeah, it's <laughs> awesome. I really, yeah, it's really cool. And I have a feeling that Transformers may have opened in Mexico because that went worldwide. Uh, so, as I said, Transformer movies, Michael Bay, very polarizing. Oh, uh, why don't we just start off... Uh, Marissa, I know that you had some schedule changes this week and that you had the very last minute to go see this movie. Um, I wish you and I had talked, uh, but uh, let's, we're going to open it up with discussion as we always do an opinion. Uh, Marissa, take it away. Yeah, um, I'm surprised I'm here for the panel for on this one. I'm just going to be honest. With I'm you. happy that you uh, are. Schedules there. changed, and I had to watch this one. Admittedly, I, this was not on my list to do list to see this film. I wasn't rushing to the theaters to go watch it after already five movies now. Um, I went in with the unfortunate notion that, like everyone else was saying, that the movie plot was all over the place and. Also, from other people, that there was no plot. So I went into this film actively trying to search for a plot. <laughs> oh, no. And while watching it, I was trying to actually put some reasoning to this film. I was like, okay, I'm going to follow something. They tried to bring a storyline in, but it was literally all over the place. ADHD. I did not drink there you go. enough coffee to follow the mess that this movie <laughs> was and trust yeah. me i'm like i drink a shit ton of coffee every you single do. day you do i and i can follow things very well this movie was all over the place yeah I would all say over you... the world there were moments where <laughs> like they're in mexico they're in montana now somehow they're in the uk what the hell happened uh and they they're like i think each scene lasted too short of a time 
for the audience to understand what's happening. Literally, it w- it was like someone on ADHD. Like someone needed to take Adderall to watch this, and it. I I don't want to go into this film being all heated, but it was all over the place mess that I couldn't enjoy it. Yeah, I just literally could not enjoy it. It was too overwhelming Be- before for we- me to. Like, I get attached to this film. Yeah, I, well, I, I get it. Um, but be, and before we started the show, too, you said something else it was either happening. It was either with some a technical glitch in the theater or it was the movie itself. Oh. You saw okay. it in standard. You, first off, too, you saw it in standard 2D. Yeah, like I saw it in regular 2D IMAX because 2D. I could not have shit right. exploding at me in my face. In 3D. Sure. Just, and transforming. You know, like, no, I would not want to put myself <laughs> oh, through that masochistic... <laughs> You know, um, moment. So while watching, we can get into this when we get into the cinematography also. But I noticed early on in the film, and granted, it's a long film. Mm -hmm. It's two hours and 29 minutes. It's a long freaking film. Um, Early, probably in the first 20 minutes of the film, I realized the the screen would go from widescreen format to full screen. Yes. Back and forth, back and forth. It's like the editors forgot to change all their settings and kept it on the same dimension um throughout the entire film interesting in the same scenes too there'd be like uh there'd be one shot say if it was like a close-up on a hand of showing an object it would be in widescreen they would cut to another shot which would be full screen and then they would cut back and it'd be widescreen again over and over and over again and i could see the black bars at the top and it was widescreen and i could see the black bars at the top and bottom throughout the entire yeah, it, almost, it, it was almost, nauseating, it especially almost, when it came to the the car chases and all the transformings and explosions everywhere. It was widescreen, full screen, widescreen, full screen. It's literally like it, someone forgot to set all the dimensions to a consistent. Well, size. it sounds like they were playing the wrong format on the wrong screen. Is absolutely like what it what it sounds but like. I'm like I am a film major. Mm, I know sure. editing enough to know that. You want to make everything consistent while watching it. I understand that film productions use different cameras in different formats, Mm -hmm. but at the end of the day, you still render the whole film in the same dimension so it plays on the same screen. Well, we've seen it. um, um, The gentleman who did, like, Moonrise Kingdom and um, uh, the hotel... Oh, geez, I can't think of his name. Grand right Budapest. Now. Grand Budapest Wes, Hotel. Wes Anderson. Wes, Wes Anderson. And I don't even various, like Wes Anderson. He used various formats. Christopher Nolan, actually, if you've seen some of his films, uh, the Dark Knight trilogy uh, uh, is a great example. He filmed some in IMAX. So if you start in an IMAX film, some some scenes actually would fill up from 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 floor to ceiling. Mm-hmm. And then when it went back to the regular, it would do that. But it sounds like you were watching almost an IMAX kind of a print. On a regular screen. On a regular screen. But like, it kept yeah. cutting, kept <clears throat> cutting, you know, back and yeah. forth. Yeah. And it was visibly noticeable. Yeah. And I don't know if anyone else it was bothered by yeah, it. Yeah, let us know. But if, me if watching as many films as we talked we on talk a regular a basis here, it was a glaring issue for yeah. me. Yeah. And, and it would take me out of scenes as well. Yeah, and I can vouch for Marissa too. Mar- Marissa does, uh, will key into plots and things and where 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 I myself too, we're talking about a movie, she, she'll find, she'll notice things that uh, many of us on the panel might have missed and stuff. So I can vouch for you in, in being that way in a plot. You know, so, okay. Well, Marissa, I wish you and I had talked before going <laughs> into this. How do you review a Transformer movies at this point? We're uh, this is the fifth one, and 
you got to go by a set of rules. There are a set of rules that I had come up with, um, and they've helped me along the way. And I sort of, they've evolved since, I think it was the second Transformer movie, Revenge of the Fallen. And first and foremost, I do not, I'm going to, if you've watched this show before, uh, we've done Transformer movies, we've done other Michael Bay movies. Uh, I'm I'm a fan of Michael Bay. Uh, I like Michael Bay. He has a library of films, um, which I've enjoyed throughout the years, whether it be Bad Boys, The Rock. I was a big fan of 13 Hours, also a big fan of The Island. Um... You know, listen, when you make as many movies, there are going to be some clunkers. We talked Pain and Gain. I wasn't a big fan of that. Uh, Pearl Harbor for the sort of kind of love story (laughs) mess that that is. He gets the attack right. He's a very visual storyteller. Okay, Pearl Harbor is a guilty movie pleasure for me. Yeah. So with that aside, rule number one, you can only compare Transformer movies to other Michael Bay directed Transformer movies. Like, And to me, this is a very important rule. You can't compare them to any other movies or movie franchises like Marvel or DC or Star Wars or or other action movies or even other Michael Bay directed movies. Why? Because it's just not fair to the other movies, (laughs) period. So number one, we got to throw that out the window. Number two, you were talking about this. Plot schlot. (laughs) You have to strip the story down to its barest Minimum in the Transformer movies. And throughout the five films, I think some of you will agree, it's very simple. There's a device or there's something. If the humans get it and the Autobots, good. If the Decepticons, the machines get it, bad. Trying to figure out things be up above and beyond that is maddening. Like Josh Demel's character in this movie, he's with the TRF. Or is he not with the TRF? What's he doing? What's this other group? Or Who is or, this new group? <laughs> or Vivian's wardrobe changes walking from one room into another. You go, well, what? If you're trying to figure shit like that out, you're just going to go mad. Case in point. Oh, yeah. So just don't do it. Rule number three, submit. Just this too is very important. You gotta just let it happen. Don't fight it. And I know you went in. You went in already. Not. I was not in the right, right. mindset to watch. So this see, film. all my rules here might have helped you out. <laughs> because if you do, you can't fight a Transformers movie. And if you do, you only end up with the rage of a supernova. <laughs> and at the end of the day, it's just a Transformers movie. And being this is the fifth movie, if you don't know what you're getting yourself into by now, well, you only have yourself to blame. Number four, the beauty of a Transformer movie is, well, you don't have to check your brain in at the door. The beauty of the Transformer movies is, it will do it for you. It's included in the price of admission. And that usually happens within the first 10 minutes of the movie. Oh, my God. You <laughs> know what I noticed? I literally so, noticed. It was like, no was, one can count how many explosions are in a Michael Bay film. Like, literally, because no. it's infinite. No. <laughs> During the Paramount logo, there was already, this is the only time I count, there were six fireballs <laughs> yeah. going through the stars at the screen. I'm like, okay, here we go. Yeah, Six and, of them. And I did see it in, in an IMAX type thing. I saw it in XD3D. I gotta say, it was awesome. So, But here's the thing. Under my review, my senses were pummeled to mush. Oh my god. My man. eyes were spinning spirals, like when you're hypnotized in the cartoons. 
you know, if and, you want to get brainwashed, you watch yeah, these films. Uh, well, you question reality. Yeah. Um, I was beaten into submission, and I can't tell you the exact moment. Well, actually, I can tell you the exact moment that I lost it. It was Bumblebee taking out the Third Reich. I was like, we're in Germany? <laughs> we're in Third Reich Germany? And Bumblebee takes out the Third Reich? At that point, I just lost all of reality. And I think I started cackling like Jack Nicholson when he realizes what he looks like as the Joker. And he's walking down the hallway. And that was it for me. I was... I was done. I was like, there's no other way. And I just went along for the ride. And when it was all said and done, it was actually dizzy. Like, and for the first time ever watching a 3D movie, like, and, and not because the 3D was awful. On the contrary, it was the 3D was amazing. And we'll talk about this. This is the first time ever that a movie was filmed in native 3D IMAX. Uh, quick, um, quick definition of native 3D. They actually used two IMAX cameras, one for the left eye, one for the right eye, to film a lot of the action scenes. Never been done before. So, you know, it. I, I got vertigo, and I might have even lost my sense of smell. I'm not entirely sure. Uh, the movie was almost too big for the IMAX screen I saw it on. And Michael Bay has said that this is his last Transformers movie. So if so, he's gone out with a fusion explosion. Transformers The Last Night for me was the biggest and baddest of them all. And I loved it for just being that. So we can, you know, we can go forward and we'll talk about Michael Bay. We'll talk about his his love for the Transformer franchise. You know, the other thing, too, is you can look at these movies as experimental films <laughs> like he does he goes into this thinking okay what can i do how can i make this bigger and better and how he choreographs stuff is uh when you look at it at that level it's 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 amazing and the clarity i have to say that he got in the 3d i was literally whoa as far as your plot issues go you know, it's just, it's what I've come to expect from a Transformers movie. It, they are what they are. And, and again, we talk about a ton of movies every year. And we talk about plotting. We talk about bad plotting, good plotting. You can't... Comparing Transformer movies to other movies, it's just, like I said, it's not fair. You gotta compare it to the other ones. It's like comparing Manos and the Hands of Fate... And Plan 9 from Out of Space. Which one are you going to watch? I would go with Plan 9 from Out of Space. They're both really bad movies. But you got to go with the one that has a little bit of flair. The Transformer movies, whether you love them or hate them, you can't take away that they have flair in Michael Bay's passion to, to... He's like a kid in a sandbox playing with his toys. And if you think of it that way, that's what these movies look like, right? <laughs> it yeah. did for you. <laughs> Thanks to everyone in the live chat. I am following following along. Support Film Art actually liked this film. Really? Yeah. Hi, Support Film Art. So, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll talk how many folks... Uh, yeah, I want to I talk about this because in the last Transformer movie that we talked about, um, we learned, and I thought it was actually pretty cool, Michael Bay is one of the few, if only, director that I'm aware of that actually films, especially in the tra especially in the last Transformer movies, and I believe this one too, 
he is the he does the second AD work. He's the director. Like they don't hire a second AD to do the action. This is all under Michael Bay's control. Yeah, he always has a camera lens in his hand. Yeah. Yeah, like he knows he is a visualizer, and I'll give him that. He knows how to set up a shot or, right. and how to execute it. Um, like we're not denying that right. whatsoever. Uh, but I, I feel with all these Transformers films, granted, I was a fan of the first one. The first one is yeah, still, the first one's fun. The first one is still a solid film. Sure, if you isolate that one alone, it's still a pretty good film. I feel. That all the Transformer movies afterwards, all the sequels, these four movies nowadays, it just degrades the quality of the first one. Okay. Um, it just, each with each film, it slowly just degrades in quality. To the point where the film actually had a really strong storyline, and there was sure. good action in it. We could follow along, there was a mission, and they got to it. It had a first, third, middle, and second, third Absolutely. Act. This film, now we're five Four films later, we're on the fifth one. It's all about the action and not about the storyline. Yeah. And but people are going to watch this film to see shit get blown up. Yeah, and 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 obviously because no one else can do that actually in real life. And the stars, and we're going to talk about too the acting, and we're going to talk about the actors and who they brought back. Um, But I want to talk while we are on the topic of Michael Bay. um, Very interesting. a uh, story from special effects supervisor John Frazier, who's worked with Michael Bay for 20 years, okay? And he goes on to talk about Michael Bay and says, you know, he never changes. He just adds to it. It's all in his head. So we have to extrapolate that out of his head, not two months before or six months before, but as he wakes up driving here. That's when we figure out what he wants to see that day. There's a reason footage gets changed daily into a custom air-conditioned production van design specifically for Michael Bay. The crew has to be mobile at a moment's notice, ready for the director to decide they need to go someplace completely new and unexpected with all of the 3D monitors to show exactly how just-shot dailies look. So, again, this is just the way that this guy operates, and... In the last uh, movie, Age of Extinction, we actually had a great video of him doing second AD work where he has his lens and his little iPad, and he literally maps out the action. It's in his head, head. which is, you know, I can understand from a crew standpoint, that could be a pain in the ass. But the other thing is you got to give the guy credit because he does map everything out from an action standpoint. You know, and how he's going to go slow motion. And then he takes 3D into consideration. So all that stuff, you know, when we show up today, uh, we've got stunt coordinator Mike Gunther says, when we showed up today and there's this guy getting ratcheted to 10 bombs, when earlier there were just no bombs listed on the call sheet, he goes, oh, okay, so this is how today's going to (laughs) go. You know, he, he changes things like that. But granted... Props to his crew. Obviously, he works with a lot of these people for many years, so they sort of kind of have that unsung communication with him where they just know. They just know. So, you know, I, I do really, really appreciate, you know, what, he, what he's able to accomplish. Now, from a story standpoint, um, it was interesting on this movie 
believe it or not, they actually uh, thought it would be a good idea because Transformers now they're only into their fifth film and they came up with this oh, idea. Man. And now we know that we're getting a Bumblebee offshoot, which would be pretty cool. And if you guys were watching this movie, I actually thought Bumblebee, I gained a whole new respect for that character. He's actually pretty really kick-ass. He always did really well, but this is... I don't know. There were certain things that Bumblebee was doing that I was like, this is awesome. And then he was going toe-to-toe with Optimus Prime, you know, and he's the one that turns Prime, too, because Prime right. is Bumblebee hip- finally gets his voice his back. Voice out of nowhere. But regardless. Like, how did that happen? So like, Didn't they just rip his throat out 10 seconds before? So catch this. So they, Paramount, they, they had a writer's room Similar to what, well, they wanted to try to model it after what Marvel has done uh, to map things out, what what Lucasfilm is now doing to map things out in continuity and, and canon. Five films in, they decide, oh, let's have a writer's room. I think they're a little bit late to the party, right? But the, the, it contained 12 writers of varying ages, genders, backgrounds, with Oscar-winning screenwriter Akiva Goldsman as the moderator, the participants had just one thing in common. None had previously worked on a Transformer film. <laughs> okay? And so for Paramount, this didn't come cheap. The writers were reportedly paid around $200,000 each for participating in the two-week project, even though the process wasn't expected to yield anything approaching a usable script. So they were just there to map, try to map things out. Just like brainstorming session and I got paid $200,000 for it. Each. For, for two weeks ridiculous. work. It's $100,000 a week. Ridiculous. Yeah. yeah, how do I get into that job? I yes, want to get it. Just to brainstorm? Yeah. My get, goodness. Get me into that room. Um, but how do you explain the expense to your boss if it doesn't work? For the same cost, you could have multiple drafts of the script. And this was said from, um, you know, uh, one of the writers, Nolan, uh, I believe it's Peter Nolan, um, and what they got were bills of ideas, some which spluttered out quickly while others lasted the course. One day, the toy company Hasbro came in and stuck a 14 billion year fictional history of the Transformers on the wall. And one of the first tasks was pointing to a spot in the timeline and imagining a film that could theoretically be set there. <laughs> so Hasbro had this, which is <laughs> funny. Hasbro, the toy company in which Transformers are based off of. Right. So you can have an outer space thing at the beginning of a time, an Arthurian legend Transformers, a World War II-led Transformers, and so on. And it said Art Markham, who's more a Stevendorf type, if we're casting this thing. So already you're, already you're off the rails. Like Okay, when, admittedly when the movie first started, and it was the whole Arthur storyline, and granted, you, if you guys really have actually followed Anatomy of a Movie and you listen to the King Arthur or just me and all my other shows that I do here in, in all mm-hmm. these networks, I'm a huge fan of The Legend of King Arthur. The story, right. the camera, like, I love just about every iteration of Arthur because it's such a great story that you can easily mess with and it'll still be fun creatively. Right. Um, this one, when I was watching it, I'm like, I'm in Transformers, right? I'm I'm in the right I got I to the right screen, movie screening and I didn't really granted I went into this not really knowing much about this particular movie um, 
So when I saw Arthur, I was like, okay, this could be interesting because I personally have a love for right. the Arthur storyline and Merlin and all that. But then when they tried to tie it to the Transformers history, I'm like, right. okay, so this is this is how the whole movie started out. They're, they're trying to give some legitimacy to the Transformers to another type of big, big right. event that most people know about just because of right. the storyline. Absolutely. So they're trying to tie these two worlds together to and, make it yeah. somewhat coherent for people to understand. And, 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 and they're changing that- the whole Excalibur <laughs> to now to a sword, or is just it's just a sword that you have to wield. It's important. It's this, Don't let right. it go. Don't let it out of your sight because it's right. going to play a big key role in today's modern day. Right. You know. Like, and Transformers okay, so have been with us a long time. Yeah. And and I'm going to be fair. When you said those big fireballs coming at you, listen. Six if, of them. If, if you six of them. Just in the opening if shot. If you got, if you were able, and you're online, let let me let us know. Watching, the, I got to tell you. Watching it in IMAX type 3D or XD 3D, uh, those scenes were awesome. Like those fight again. I can honestly say I don't think I've seen the clarity, the depth, the focus. These things literally felt as if they were coming off of the screen. I was like already going whoa, and there was that one that that rolled and it had the big spikes out All of it. Them rolled. Like oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It, it was like what again. What the hell is going on here? But oh my head, this looks awesome. <laughs> oh my head, this looks awesome. So it was Ken Nolan. Uh, I got his, his name wrong earlier. So Ken Nolan, who said, What if we did John Borman's Excalibur with Transformers in the writer's room? So, and he said, People just blankly stared at him. And tumbleweeds, he actually said, rolled across the room. <laughs> but it was a Kiva that said, You weren't sure they weren't five rolling across the room. He goes, Okay, let's write it on the board. To the sound of crickets, and then the idea stuck so much that the trio eventually used it in the last night prologue. So uh, uh, D. Bonaventura, who's uh, who's been a producer in all of Bonaventura these films, Bonaventura has done a lot. It's a lot. Um, recalls his reaction when he heard the pitch. He goes, "Why would we do that?" And we we're like, "Really?" But a couple of days later, we we're still thinking about it, and we'd been making these films for eight years at this point. Would have never thought of it outside of being in this. The, 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 this writer's room. So I enjoyed that. I enjoyed seeing Stanley Tucci as a drunken Merlin. Yeah, and, <laughs> it was kind of off-putting because... It was. Like, Stanley Tucci, he's a great actor. Yeah. And we'll, we'll get into the characters. He's a great actor, but this character was so far off, it took or immediately it took me out of the film because, first of all, Merlin is an iconic character. Absolutely. And they already degraded the quality of his oh. character by making him a drunk, ridiculous dude. Who yeah. They're basing their whole, like... This battle is solely depicted if Merlin executes this mission or not. Right. And he's a drunk. And he's a drunk, and it sort of kind of made you question magic <laughs> and whether or not it exists. Right. But seeing Back him as then a drunk... they called it magic, quote-unquote. Um, it was funny because for me, seeing him drunk as a drunk Merlin, I was like, well, I've never seen that before. And and then when he conjures up this dragon, this fire-breathing Transformer dragon, which, again, looked awesome. I don't know what the hell's going on here yet, but I, I don't know. In the, in, the, in the whole grand scheme of things as to how it played out on the big screen in 3D, it really, really um, looked 
amazing to me. So, um, you know, and then we'll, we'll talk about, you know, we can talk about Sir Anthony Hopkins. We'll talk about, we can talk about um, Josh Demel coming back. Uh, yeah. You know, the inclusion of, uh, of, of, of a child actress who, you know, in the trailers, I was actually sort of kind of excited about but having a child come into the movie. Well, because like a young kid, right? Yeah, Brian. Because to appeal to the younger kid audience, and it is a Transformer movie, and we've never really had that. We've never really had it represented by the kids who might play with the toys. And I also like that it was a girl. Um, you know, I mean, I would say I wish she was utilized a little well, more. Well, she was there for the first thirty minutes, and then she disappears until the third act. Right. And uh, I'm just trying to find. Uh, uh, Isabella Moner as as Isabella. And I thought she did a really good job. In fact, I was hoping she was going to be more integral. I thought she was going to be in the, the movie a lot more. Because I really liked the inclusion of, of, of a young adult. who And it was a female. And she was strong. She was surviving the battle-torn Chicago streets. Um, which got wiped out, I guess, in the last movie. And she was a strong character. Chicago was in the second film. Detroit was in. It was a Detroit that got okay. I thought it was Chicago that got wiped out. I I know the second film was Chicago because I was actually in Chicago (laughs) when they were filming the second Transformers. So, so I saw some of the production. It was actually pretty cool. Yeah, I just felt that it was a smart move um, to do. I wish they utilized her more because I really thought she was a great character. And I know she comes in at the end and she, in her way, sort of saves her day or saves the day to an extent. But not really. And I think that that's what I was more um, disappointed with because they built her character. She's likable as a, as a kid. She's strong. Extremely likable. Very strong-willed. And you think she could probably play good, really strong opposite towards an adult Mark Absolutely. And, and then she disappears for basically the whole length of the film, and she comes back only to finally get her one droid pet to do one action right. that could have done, ev- that everyone else could have just blown up the, the one missile thing or firing weapon that they were using. Mm-hmm. Like, everyone else could have blown that up, but she had her one, finally, her Transformer pet to finally do something. Yeah. And it was just such a big letdown for for that whole buildup at the beginning, it's like, oh, my, this, uh, oh, oh, I don't even forget, sorry, I forget the trend, that blue one, the squeaks or whatever. Squeaks, I squeaks. think it was. They built it up that squeaks hasn't been doing anything. It's like, it's too afraid. I was like, okay, squeaks is going to have a moment. But then his moment was just to backfire the, the gun. I'm like, oh, that was it. Yeah. That was it. They're having a hard time. Because yeah. it got overshadowed <laughs> by everything else getting already blown up in the scene right it was just it was a big moment for nothing it's very anticlimactic yeah well again i I just love the way that it looked uh i liked squeaks who was mostly a practical effect uh puppeteering and everything i thought squeaks was pretty cool and i did like isabella it's cooler well i i not listen (laughs) again you can't compare it to other franchises. You're making that mistake. You're comparing it to other stuff. I really liked Isabella. You know, I I like the concept of putting somebody like Isabella in these stories. And I I agree. I wish she had more impact in the film. And I wish she was along for more of the ride and more of the adventure. It would have been cool. And I think it would have been cool for young girls who may have gone to see Transformers. Um, So, you know, I, I... 
I do have a funny, there is a funny story too about, about Michael Bay and sort of kind of his mindset and working with actors because this comes from Josh Demel. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it goes, Bay's not above stirring a pot between the actors and the military guys. Now, Bay has a great respect for the military and he's used him, I think, in pretty much all of the Transformer movies. Uh, and if you haven't seen the movie 13 Hours, which is a really... Heck, Solid. and he did Pearl Harbor, which was yeah. the whole entire Navy fleet. The right. Navy fleet was backing him up on the film. Absolutely, so. and they, they back him up on these. But Michael Bay does have a great respect for our military, all factions of it. So on the first day, Josh DeMell recalls, we're up in this submersible, and there's a green screen in the background, and it's he, he says, hot as balls up there, and we think we're done. And he's like, okay. Michael Bay now. Uh, we're going to do this. We're, we're going to go to this part. And Demel goes, not realizing uh, he had earbuds on and that his mic was still hot. He goes, oh, fuck. And then Michael Bay's like, uh, what was that? What did you say? And he was like, oh, nothing. He goes, oh, I thought I, thought I heard you say fuck. You got it really tough up there, Josh, don't you? You actors got it really tough. Look at the guys around you. They're all seals. And Bay goes on, why don't you tell those guys how tough your job is? And DeMille's like, that was my first day on the set for this movie. Yeah, put them in perspective. <laughs> yes. I put appreciate that. And, and, and again, I think it does go to show the respect that he does have for the military. Because the military, as silly as it sounds, they even back a Transformers movie. And I think it's because of Michael Bay's passion for the military and for getting the job done, like, right. So... You know, I, I I get what's going on. I get his franticness. Um, but you have to appreciate, to an extent, to his dedication to the project. And if somebody to him and his crew says, we can't get that done. He goes, that's your job. Get it done. I don't care how you figure out how we're going to lift this thing up in the air. Like You're going to have to get it Do done. It. And, and you know what? They end up working together. And they do. And when he's mapping it out, and you see these awesome shots of motorcycle tires hitting people in the face, which is sort of kind of like a scene from the last Transformer movies where a Jeep does that, you're like, wow, that's all these cars flipping, and it's all practical. Like, he blows shit up on streets, and you just gotta go, that's, that's, that's crazy insane. Mm-hmm. And I also seem to think that he takes a lot of the stuff from the Transformer movies. Like, if you watch 13 Hours, like, he mm-hmm. does this amazing... There's a car chase that lasts, it's seemingly about 20 minutes, that it's extremely suspenseful. But you can tell that from doing a Transformer movie, he knows how to operate and use his camera to full effect and to do it in a way that it's not cheesy, like, he builds suspense. So that's why, too, I think Transformer movies are almost experimental for him. So he can say, okay. He can just try a new trick. I could do a new trick and put it into another movie. So, you know, I, I think that, uh, you know, I, I think to get another idea as to Michael Bay's thought process, you know, he actually said of, uh, of the airport battle in Captain America Civil War, uh, he says, it didn't have enough movement for his taste. <laughs> he says, yeah, which is... 
that scene didn't have enough movement. I didn't even see Civil War. <laughs> so, so um, yeah, it, it, everybody knows the airport scene. Everybody focuses on that in I that know. movie. <laughs> well, you know, but it's a crazy fight scene between superheroes and such. Mm. And Michael Bay says, yeah, there's not enough movement in it for me. That's the mindset of Michael Bay. <laughs> but it's, I'm, that's, it's interesting. We know that Michael's Bay mind is erratic. And it definitely shows us. Mm-hmm. It reflects this. The editing is ridiculous. Um, right. But it's not to say Michael Bay has vision. He has an eye. He knows what he wants it to look like. And well, like I pulled so many quotes from everyone he's worked with on right. this film that talk about Michael Bay's vision. And we're not saying that he doesn't. No, he right. he does. He certainly does. Why do you think studios hand him over $200 million to create a movie? Um, because he can create something visually interesting that people mm-hmm. would go right. and watch. But the where I fall flat in this film is yeah. the story. Yeah, and that well, The story was enough to take me out of it. Yeah, I, I, listen, I can't argue. I, you can't argue that. Nobody nobody really could. Um, but you, bring, you mentioned editing. Okay, mm. This movie had six. Six editors. Six editors. No, I know. It's and, crazy. But because, like, Big f- and and I think that's what also hinders the film as well because when you're getting six different visions, editors can dictate how a story is put on screen in the storytelling of it all. But when you have six different people telling you a story, it's gonna get messed up somewhere. Yeah, the, it's gonna get disconnected. The only way, well, the only the way that I look at it is he has six editors to handle six different aspects of the story, whether it's the medieval time, whether it's the Third Reich. I mean, come on. Bumblebee takes out the Third Reich. At that point, I was like, what? But it's still, Michael Bay, again, he really, I believe he has control over his editors, and he has them there because he can dictate to them, because he already has in his head, I think it takes just six editors to figure out what the hell he has going on in his mind. So um, if we're, I notice you're online. Is anybody commenting? Or I can't yeah. read it over Support here. Support so. Film Art says, yeah. Dimitri, there's a good saying that pretty much describes all that you're saying. Yeah. You, don't, you don't watch Michael Bay films. They happen to you. They Well, the Transformer movies happen to you. Uh, you know, I would argue against like movies like The Rock or Bad Boys um, or, or 13 Hours or The Island. Um, I mean, I, I totally understand what you're saying, but I think it's only for the Transformer movies. They sort of happen to you. And you either are, if you're buying the ticket, you should already know what you're going, what, what you're going in yep. for. Yep. He's also saying no one goes to Transformers movies for the story. No one. People want a spectacle, and that's exactly what they get. Yeah, and I, I don't disagree with that comment at all. I, I think you're absolutely right, because, especially after Revenge of the Fallen. Like, because I agree with you, when they set up the Transformer movie, the first one, right, there was a lot of cool things going on. But then Transformers Revenge of the Fallen, which do you believe it was the first movie in 30 years that was allowed to not only film in Egypt, but they actually filmed on the pyramids. Mm -hmm. They allowed Michael Bay to film on the actual pyramids. And then they destroyed them in this point. (laughs) Yeah, and and they, they, they went back so... I agree with the statement. They do happen to you. And after a while, if you're going in for plot, we can make fun of the non-plot. We can, right? Which we're right. doing. 
I wouldn't say that going into a Transformer movie, I am going in for the plot. You have to, again, you strip it down to the bare minimal. And then I think part of the fun of the ride for this is, is how scattershot it is. Scatterbrain is. There's no other movies like that. Can you think of other movies that are so scattered, like all over the place? No. Right? No. Not so, off of the top of my head. And I, I get that. And it's it can be fun for people to watch like a very visually erratic film. Like I think uh, Hardcore Henry was one of them. You know? Sure. How that just like the perspective and literally all over the place too visually um but this one like i get it people want to see stuff get blown up yeah it's we get explosion every 20 seconds not even like every Mm -hmm. 10 seconds more so i get that but it gets to the point where this film it gets too overwhelming that too much is happening and you're not going to remember what exactly happened you can't really isolate a certain moment in in this film because everything's getting thrown at you that's that's how these are that eventually it just becomes a blur yeah and you don't want to remember a blur you want to like what makes great films also is that it's like oh remember that scene in Mm -hmm. that movie you can't really say remember that scene in this film because everything is too meshed you, together. Yeah, you get a lot thrown at you, and I'm not going to... Again, that's a point that you can't argue. I will say in this movie, the, the, the scenes that I that I personally remembered were the opening uh, in medieval times, because I just thought I'd never seen it done like that before. Um, they are actually filming in the uh, forest in which I believe they filmed scenes of Gladiator. So that was actually sort of cool. And I remember the final battle scene where the fighter jets were coming in. Now, I remember this only because in 3D, I I was literally floored, and I think this is the time where I was getting vertigo. It was amazing to look at in that format. I was just like, holy cow, this looks... I've never... Especially when when the fighter jets were turning, I felt as if I were in my own fighter jet. (laughs) It was crazy. I mean, it's so... I remember those scenes and the fighting scenes, but every Transformer movie, you're right. He, Michael Bay throws a lot at you, and um, it's 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 crazy. I also remember the scene. And we're going to talk about it if we talk about special effects. Bumblebee. Um, there's a scene where Bumblebee sort of gets like parts of his body like end up all over the place, and then he right. comes together. Right. He transforms again. That to me was pretty awesome. Too. I mean, there were scenes that I hadn't even seen done in a Transformer movie before. My question is, sorry, I'm not like, admittedly, I'm Please. not the biggest Neither. savant of the Transformers. Neither am I, like, outside of these movies. I don't watch any of the other Transformers. Um, not the show, not these movies. Um, but, so this is an actual, real, genuine question. Does Bumblebee have that ability i mean have we seen it in the other it's, films it's brand new in this movie where it's a brand new he twist. can break up in pieces and then come back together i've never seen that before no it's a brand so new. when that happened i was like okay was has he always had this ability or was it just established uh, it's the first time that they've done that in a movie it's the first time it was a they wanted to do something new and different that hadn't been done before so they had come up with this idea and I don't know. For me, it worked. And the mere fact that it didn't happen in, in prior movies, 
I was like, yeah, what, why am I going to argue? It's like, okay, it didn't happen in other movies. It, it's just like, it's just like seeing, um, I sort of, if, if you're going to, you, I shouldn't compare, but it's like when we see R2-D2 fly with his jet rockets when we hadn't seen him do it in mm-hmm. the first three movies. Just sort of yeah, it's like, it's it. just a yeah. new development that we're like, oh, that's cool. I wish I could have seen that right. sooner. So, but again, it's not the first time we've actually seen that happen on screen. Yeah, no, and and Industrial Light and Magic. We've seen did it the, with other films. Did the did those special effects and Scott Farrar, a veteran of all five films, um, Bumblebee's sequence was planned out, shot on location, and realized by the VFX artist at, at ILM. So, Bay's style has affectionately become known as Bayhem, in which complex <laughs> action is explosions. Uh, edge, you know, uh, teeter on just the edge of comprehension. This is everything that we're talking about, and these are in our notes. So, the bumblebee scene, we always get actors and stunt people to duck and move as if things are swinging over their heads. Um, Saying the bumblebee scene, the essential thing is to get some sort of choreography on set that we plan so it fits into what we think our robot's going to do. So, since bumblebee is a CG creation, an important part of bringing that scene to life was replicating the live-action lighting on the robot's reflective surfaces. Our surfaces. For that, ILM had a tried-and-tested approach to capturing on-set data, and this includes the classic chroming gray high-dynamic range uh, balls used to approximate the position and intensity of the lighting. So, but, but Ferrara says the director is always willing to art direct the final lighting, and Michael is the first one to say that it's perfectly fine if we abandon what real lighting angle is, and that's fine. So it's when you look at Bumblebee, even in the Bumblebee shots, you will see that we've cheated the key light around so it's more of an edge light of Bumblebee in the pieces whenever possible. So I just thought it was actually cool. Um, they actually used a Velcro board to sort of choreograph... The artist down in the in post-production um, painted the shapes to represent Bumblebee's parts and they, to show how they were going to happen. So I, I thought it was a cool scene, even though I hadn't seen it done before. You're showing me something new that I, you know, I, I, I thought it was sort of fun to watch. Right. Visually, it was there because, honestly, Bumblebee is one of the, arguably one of the more favorable characters right. out of all these movies that we filmed. Bumblebee was like the first main one that we're introduced right. to in the first one. Like, everyone just loves the character of Bumblebee He's and the car. Character. So when in this film, I felt like it's because we haven't seen Bumblebee in a while. Mm-hmm. He just has to have the scene by himself. Right. Because the fans want it. Yeah. And it felt like it did feel misplaced because it was just there. I was like, okay, Bumblebee has a moment. Great. Right. Was it necessary? No. No, but it looked great. And I also think, too... Just going back, if there's a quote-unquote writer's room, right? We do know that there is going to be a Bumblebee offshoot. I believe Haley Steinfeld has has been signed. She's going to be the lead character. Mm. And so she'll be behind the wheel of Bumblebee. Appealing to the younger audience as well. Right. And and I think it's smart if you're going to continue to do a Bumblebee story. Because you're right. He's such a cool character. Whether he finds his voice or not, I always thought it was cool that he sampled dialogue from movies. And that's how he talked. And that or, sort of yeah, kind or of made songs. him cute. Right. And that's what was, you know, they established that trait in the first film that they use very cleverly, I might add you. Like, all those fun songs, Baby Come Back, and, you know, who's right. going to 
take you home. You know, like that was done in a very clever, funny, comedic way in the first one. And it still carries over to this film. Absolutely. And it also gives Bumblebee a personality for absolutely for a car and Mm -hmm. for a character just to follow. It's fun. Yeah, I, I agree. And like going back to Revenge of the Fallen when um, Shia LaBeouf's character has to tell him, hey, B, I'm going to college and you got to stay here. He's like, he starts to like cry. It's like, you're right. He has the best and most probably personality of all of the, whether it's a Decepticon or an Autobot. And I think that's what makes him cool and worthy enough to do an offshoot movie. So um, let's take a break from talking about, let's take a break from talking about, uh, Special effects. Mm. We I, there is a video that we can show that talks about uh, 3D and IMAX and filming in this and Michael Bay's mind. And so we'll watch this video, and then I want to talk about acting. I want to talk about the actors in the movie, and then we can talk about special effects a little bit later. But I want to switch gears. So why don't we watch this video? Watch along with us if uh, you're you're on iTunes and or um, YouTube. Uh, check this out. Hopefully you'll think it's cool. It's Michael Bay explaining. It's Michael Bay talking about and everybody talking about working with IMAX. Cool. Which I'm... In cinema, I'm always trying to push the boundaries, and it's really to give you the very best experience. The bigger the film, the more important it is to go to the theater, and Transformers are big films. I want to get more activity from you guys. Come on. This is IMAX camera. You know how big that is on IMAX? You guys are huge on that screen. It's amazing the world that Michael has created. He continues to make them bigger and better. It gets bigger and more grand every time you go out. I think part of that has to do with how IMAX keeps getting bigger and better. Ready, guys? Here we go. We are shooting with IMAX 3D. I'm the type that believes if you're going to do 3D, you shooting real 3D. Can we get that 3D right here? That means two cameras, two eyes, and see exactly what you're seeing and not faking it. Yeah, there's no I would say our go-to camera, A camera, always on the crane, always doing the big shots. We strapped two IMAX Alexa cameras together <laughs> onto a 3D rig. It has a look like no other camera on the market. It's one of the most beautiful, incredible images you can see on a movie screen. So oh, let's go! We are the very first blockbuster to shoot not 10 minutes, not 15 minutes of IMAX footage, but 98% IMAX footage. Wow. IMAX, you really can see the scale, you can hear the sound and the whole experience that you get there. That's a big deal. The 3D is phenomenal. Shooting 3D is harder, more expensive, but it is so worth the effort. The operation is over. We're not giving up on Prime, okay? Two IMAX films. Yeah, I you know it, now IMAX has had a relationship with Michael Bay in the Transformer movie since since the oh, first yeah. one, so forever. And again, just to I want to put uh, 3D in a little bit of context. So um, back well before there was digital, literally they if you were going to film a movie in 3D, you, you did have two cameras. 
to film it. To project 3D, you had to have two projectors to showcase the right. movie. Okay, and you know, hence the red and the blue glasses mm-hmm. of of uh, of yore, and then they became the polarized glasses. But running the two um, projectors, and that was a big deal. Uh, I I can't recall what the first IMAX 3D movie was, like first full length motion picture, but you needed two of those screens and this was before digital if one frame was just slightly off your whole experience was ruined like ruined you wouldn't get 3d you'd get the worst headache in the world um it was just a miserable experience they had to stop recalibrate everything it was just a mess so today if you're filming an imax 3d using those two cameras and now everything's digital and such yeah everything looked amazing in IMAX. So whether there was a plot or no plot, um, it was, yeah, it, it's, it just looked fantastic. I noticed uh, Nerdstalgia, the effects were there to help tell the story, not the other way around. Well, interesting. Bigger does not always mean better. I, I don't uh, disagree with you. On, yeah, I no, don't I disagree with, with you on that. I'm just saying... We understand, and we have to just check the story out. Yes, we get it. There was really... The story is not exhibit A in this film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not. It's a backbone. It's just a mere thought, honestly. I will go as far as, like, since Revenge of the Fallen, like, they are a Technicolor explosion of metal, rubber, shiny metal... Yeah, I'm not going into a Transformer movie necessarily for, for, well, not at all, for plot. I know what I'm going to get into. So um, we'll talk a little bit more about special effects. Um, but I do want to talk about, we have to talk about our actors and characters. Let's start off with Mark Wahlberg. Do you believe, uh, I, I believe, from a trivia standpoint, this is the first time he's done, like, a sequel. Like, uh. he's... He's no. done. Where, where no. He's done sequel? Ted oh, he's two. Ted, Ted two. He's doing right. Daddy's Home two. No, he's been. For, for the, and, well, he did this as a make, not a make good, but when they did Pain and Gain, that's how Michael Bay got him to do Transformers, and then he agreed to do this one. But this too is his last. Um, Cade Yeager's. You know, it's the last time we'll see Cade Yeager's character in a mm. Transformer movie. You know, Mark Wahlberg is very charismatic. Uh, you know, I think he's. I think he's good. He's fine. He's you know he to replace Shia. He was the Shia exact Lebeau. same that I thought he would be in all of his other films, and he was. Um, he's he's the guy who's going to call people out on their crap when necessary. Right. He's the guy who is kind of like the reluctant hero, but not really a hero. He's right. just there, like he's thrown into the chaos, and he's the person who will just be the assertive one out of sure. everyone to do mm-hmm. something about yeah. it. Um, he does that great. Yeah, he's a good He does that in hero. all of his films. Yeah. Um, that's why he has big action films, yeah. because he is that character that you can follow and Absolutely. expect to see something through to the end. Mm-hmm. Um, not out of his wheelhouse whatsoever. Very predictable kind of performance from Mark Wahlberg. Yeah. Uh, his story with his daughter, who we didn't see, they had to write her out because she just wasn't there. It was an again a like a Z storyline. Oh that my god! They spent time on to not even see it. I'm like, okay, scratch that. And the only Just reason, scratch it. You, tell me if you agree with me, and I'm going to throw this out to the audience. I think they did that because she was a good character in the last movie. I felt right. 
Um, but I think the reason why that character may have been written out, so to speak, is that so we can introduce a love interest for Cade. So well, and also did, like you get rid of daughter. you get rid of the daughter. Right. You also have space and you know, like room on screen to introduce Isabella. True. So, I mean, who so. is just another girl who's also young who could be like a quote unquote daughter type person right. that. Cade has to look after. Cade, Cade was sort of know? a father figure to her as well. You know, but yet you're right. Wahlberg's a good action hero. You know, he plays it. You believe him in, in, in the... You, you believe that he can either try to get out of that mess, or when he's in the mess, you he's can... He's going to do something about it. Right. And, you know, there's a believability factor here. So, yeah, I liked Mark Wahlberg. I thought he was cool. Um, Joss Demel, who makes his comeback in this movie as Colonel William Lennox... Now I'm surprised he's still alive. Honestly, I the like Colonel him. or Josh Demel. No, the, <laughs> the, the Colonel, of, especially with everything this character has seen. Absolutely, with all the explosions, good oh. chances he's eventually going to get hit by something yeah. and die. Sorry, um, I like his character. I like Me Josh Demel as well. He's very pleasant to watch on screen. Yeah, um, it was just interesting to see his character kind of be somewhat of a gray character because. We know he's a likable guy from the earlier films. He knows right from wrong. He knows the good Autobots compared to the Decepticons. Yeah, he's stuck up for the Autobots. Exactly. Absolutely. So to see him on a force that's taken away Transformers and like actually actively going out, seeking them out, and destroying them, it made me like dislike his character because I just questioned his moral sense. Like, but you know, good. Autobots. Why are you right. attacking all of them? Well, it was weird to me. T- I it was weird to me too because they seemed to set up that he was undercover as part of this TRF. Like there was this other group that were actually seeking out Autobots because they knew that they were good, and the only way to do this is if you were part of the TRF. I wish they had made it more clear, and I would have liked to have seen him, too, because I think when he, together with Cade, I thought that that was really cool because there was a good, well, there was a good chemistry there, and they were fighting for the good of the Autobots because they both, Cade was seeking parts to help the Autobots. And I thought that that was, it was a cool dynamic that I wish the both of them were together a little bit more, and I wanted it to be more clear that, Colonel William Lennox, I mean, it was more for the Transformers and believing that there is good in them and without him having to be in the TRF because then it set up that whole thing with this Santos character. And yeah, it was just, it was a muddled, it was sort of muddled mess. But I did like seeing that character, Josh Demel's character back um, in the fold. So I brought up Santos. Now Santos is sort of kind of like the, the point person for this TRF and he's hunting Transformers down. Mm-hmm. Um, he was an okay character, I suppose, right? No, I, he's a villain, but at the end he's not a villain. But, but he was also, fine. I mean, we haven't seen Santos. Never. First time. The TRF really becomes nothing at the end of the film because they all just like no we're in it for ourselves now we're just going to do what we think is right right so trf literally becomes null and void therefore his character of santos becomes null and void sort of kind and of. because he is a new character me personally 
I couldn't remember him. Right. Because he did nothing. Other than he was sort of like, like the he villain. got lost in the shuffle. He did. Yeah, and and that's one of the things too. And he's not as model. big as a villain that other right. movies can build a, a character up to be. I agree with you. 100%. He's literally just he, there yeah, to there. have an antagonistic moment for one or two times. And that's it. Mm-hmm. You don't I, yeah, I don't disagree. I don't disagree. Um, there again, it had had these things been built up a little more, um, it was fine. But at the end, the Santos character uh, realizes, listen, we this is what we we have to get this staff, and uh, you know to make things right. Which brings me to speaking of the staff, uh, which brings me to the character of Vivian Wembley, who is a descendant of Merlin. We come to find out. <laughs> All right, cool. I'm all for it. <laughs> me too. Um, I like strong women characters. Me too. Played by Laura Haddock. We're seeing this pattern mm-hmm. in, in film now that they're building up good strong women characters. I liked Vivian. Uh, me too. She was cool. She was likable. Very she much. was smart. The way they introduced Absolutely. her character, she's playing polo. I was like, all right, great, great. She's athletic, so she she has skill. And then she changes into a. A beautiful, I mean, like she was already beautiful, but like a very strong, beautiful, intelligent woman. Absolutely. Leading a class full of information that we're like, okay, she's knowledgeable. Eventually, she's going to have a scene full of all the exposition in the film. So I was waiting for that, too. And she Mm -hmm. was kind of part of that. Yeah. And then to even add to her character that she's the only one who can wield the sword. I'm like, yeah, woman power. I liked it. I liked it. I liked the inclusion of this character into the Transformer movie, into this one in particular. She was a a breath of fresh air in this thing. And again, plot schmott, continuity schmottinuity. You know, her costume, like, literally... She would walk from one room into another room, and she's wearing something different. It was pretty amazing. Yeah, <laughs> like, no. Oh. And I'm like, uh, but uh, it was a clear moment it. where they're like, okay, Wait, wow, what? she's a gorgeous woman. <laughs> and she, like, literally just getting her, like, manhandled by the the Lamborghini car. Yeah. <laughs> going down, like, rolling physically down the hill. Yep. For her to actually now just be in a dress just to look pretty on Just to look awesome. Yep. That's... I'm like, okay, now I see where this is going. That is another thing, too. That is a Michael Bay talent. Um, he can photograph women. Like, he's done it with Scarlett Johansson. Hello, with Megan, Megan Fox. Fox. How do you think but, she got her start? Oh, absolutely. He literally, as as skeezy as this sounds, Michael Bay had all these women wash his car, and he picked my Megan Fox because she was the hottest out of them. Mm-hmm. Yep. And he knows how to photograph and put them in their best light, the best costume. Um, but Laura Haddock, too. And then in doing my research with her, she's uh, Peter Quill's mom in both the Guardians of the Galaxy movies, which completely oh. <laughs> unrecognizable. Like, yeah. I didn't. I was like, holy cow, that's her? So, um, listen, I enjoyed this inclusion of Vivian Wembley. Again, since we didn't get it in the in the child actress, which I was hoping there was going to be more of, I'm glad that they brought her in. Vivian also had some great dialogue with Cade. I thought that the two of them, they had that love-hate, which, you know, opposites attract. Oh, well, you knew that was going to happen, especially... 
when the third act is rolling around and literally everything in the world is about to explode. They finally yeah. have that moment on Kiss. That sexual tension yeah. is finally out of the way. I'm like, all yeah. right, there. Like, just show it to us. All right, move on. Yeah. There it is. Like, yeah. literally, when they kiss, I was like, ah, and there it is. Yep. And I, I believe I also said that out loud. Yeah, I just, theaters. but I, I actually, I bought it. I thought that the both of them. I bought. I, I thought that Wahlberg. We've seen it and so Haddock, many times. I'm like, I understand. Oh, God, no, dude, I, I, you're, you're right. Remember the movie that we're talking about? I know. I, I thought that there. I thought that Wahlberg and Haddock's. Um, I thought they had decent chemistry together. I thought that they they seemed to work well. It would be interesting if somebody would take them and put them in another movie. Like outside of Transformers to see how they would do it, and I think that they would. I think that they would be pretty good together. I think they're a good team. So now I want to talk about. Um, I want to talk about some of the tertiary characters, um, particularly. Um, st- um, well, we already talked about Stanley Tucci, but I want to talk about. Um, oh my God, the guy that was that that John Turturro is Agent Simmons. Oh yeah, and he's been in the. Previous, yeah, he was in two. two and three, I believe. Uh, the one with like the one or two pieces, you know, like nuggets of information that yeah. we need to somehow move it forward. Now, it was interesting. I thought, again, when you look at John Turturro, when you look at somebody like Stanley Tucci, they seem to have some semblance of a relationship with Michael Bay. Stanley Tucci was in the last Transformers movie, it's a completely mm-hmm. different character. Mm-hmm. They're willing to come back and work with him again. And John Turturro, I just think, for me, it was a missed opportunity. And again, I didn't know what the hell was going on in Cuba. Was this a safe haven for, for, for trans... Why is he in Cuba? Like, was he... Like, he was fighting extradition? I, like, I couldn't figure out what the hell was going on and why did we have to be in he Cuba? He was just hiding in Cuba? Other than they wanted to film in Cuba. And I felt that Agent Simmons, he, I thought he was very underutilized. And it made me wonder... You know, if you cut that out, like, it, yeah, it was funny, but I guess he had information to share with Anthony Hopkins or Anthony, it, it, if he didn't need to be in the movie, I didn't mind that he was, but it would have made the movie a little shorter. <laughs> so um, I wish that <laughs> he was, five minutes. I wish that he was uh, utilized more in this film, which brings me, since I mentioned it, it brings me to Sir Anthony Hopkins. Now, you might ask, what's he doing in a Transformer movie? I mean, I remember seeing that in the trailer. He's too good for Transformers. Like, I was like going, they got him in a Transformers movie. Wow. But I have to be honest here. I think watching Sir Anthony Hopkins in this movie, Transformers The Last Night, this to me seems like he had the most fun being in this movie than I've seen him have in a long time. Like, he literally... Looked like he was having a good time, and but like Anthony Hopkins, he has an amazing career. Man is an Oscar-winning, absolutely like, actor. Like absolutely. we know this, his his accolades speak for himself. So I'm glad that he is in a position where he can take any role and just enjoy it and have fun and not deter his his acting career. Yeah, like, but if if you... he's a living legend, yeah, absolutely, honestly, can't take that away. From so. Him. To see him in this role, I didn't mind it because I love Anthony Hopkins. Like, 
in all of his roles. He was great. And he had a lot to his character. Mm -hmm. He had the moment of exposition, explaining everything down. Um, the, the family lines of, you know, the Arthurian legend. And I liked it because his character explained a lot that and filled in those gaps that we needed. Yeah, I, I felt, again... And I've seen him, he's been in great movies, he's been in not-so-great movies, he's been on direct-to-VOD movies, but in this movie, he actually seemed to be having a good time chewing up the scenery. And I'd really never seen him, This like, he was giddy, he was laughing, he was part of car chase scenes, and he's set of Michael Bay, too. Um, like, I like working with Michael Bay, because he gets it. He, he wants wanted to, to shoot. work with... Get it done, he gets it done. There's none of this riffraff. And I don't know, for some reason, watching Sir Anthony Hopkins in this movie, I was like, I've really never seen him in this type of a role before. It was fun for me to watch him. I was, it was, I was like going, okay, he did a good job. And you could tell, obviously, he was getting paid, but he did not phone in this performance, no. even though he was over the top. But he was funny. I liked him. I don't like, and I don't even think he was over the top. Yeah. I think there were some Transformers who were over the top. I'm yes. like, okay, I don't care about you. Right. I think Anthony Hopkins <clears throat> did a great job with his role, and especially the way he died in the end. It was very honorable and noble. Absolutely. Um, to the point where, like, yeah, he served his life purpose. Yep. He served his purpose. Mm -hmm. And what else is more for his character? Because it really ends with that. Yeah. And I'm okay with that. Yeah, I was okay with it, too. And it was actually, it was sort of kind of refreshing to just see him seem to have a good time and let him do this thing. And because he was sort of crazy, but not smart guy, eccentric, eccentric's a good word, I think. Um, he was a good character. And I really enjoyed watching him in this movie. Mm -hmm. So um, it, it was a lot of fun. So um so we talk about the actors. We were talking about 3D. Um, we, okay, we can talk a little bit about... Let's talk... Since, since we are talking about plot points and such, I did find this article about the ending and what is this Unicron. Now, admittedly, yeah, right. outside, of, outside of the Transformer movies, um, growing up, I sort of kind of missed like, the Transformer craze. Like, I was, at that point, I was a little bit older to see, to see the Transformer and And that's, stuff. that's what's funny, because, like, the Transformers, for both of us, we were in the wrong generation. You were older, and I was too young mm. for, the, for the Hasbro right. Transformers back in the 80s, you know, 90s. Um, I was too young to enjoy it, so we're just, like, one one or two generations off. Yeah, but I, the thing is, is that I understood Transformers. I knew that it was a very popular cartoon on TV, and from a from a from a merchandising standpoint, they were huge um, as far as toys went. Um, and I do remember I did see the animated movie because Leonard Nimoy, uh, you know, Spock, mm, Spock, he was a voice uh, in it. Um, but that's about it. And then when I've seen the Transformer, I've seen the Transformer movies at theaters and I'm just hard pressed to say I, I've seen them all in the movie theaters. I don't own any on Blu-ray, but I've never sat. There have never been like multiple viewings where I can try to thread something 
through to them mm. all. And again, when you're talking about this writer's room, it sort of kind of makes me laugh because there never seemed to be, outside of, like, say, Shia LaBeouf's character, who's in the first three. Right. But then when they change to Cade, there's really no mention of his character at all. There's just all this there happening. There was a picture of the crazy Shia LaBeouf shot in this film. <laughs> was if that? you blinked, you literally missed it. I must have been dizzy. I missed it. It was when they first get to the UK and they're being walking through uh, uh, Anthony Hopkins' Uh, uh, you know, Sir Edmund Burton's sure. place. Mm-hmm, like they're mm-hmm. first looking around, and like you live here, and he was discussing like all the um, transformers that in, in the historical events. There right. was a quick shot of Shia LaBeouf Where in his face. I missed it. Um, yeah, <laughs> like literally, there's a portrait, and it's like <laughs> it's the crazy Shia LaBeouf that we all know now. Unfortunately, right. then than the first one. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, well, that's very fascinating. So I guess they are trying yeah. to put... No, seriously, put if you blinked, you missed it. Yeah, well, I did miss it. But uh, so this whole thing about the Unicron, which is interesting because uh, as this article in The Hollywood Reporter goes on to say that Unicron wasn't just in The Last Night, but has actually been in the entire series to date because Unicron is the Transformers name for Earth, which is interesting because up until now, we've never really had that history of the Transformers, knowing that they go back to the Dark Ages and the Arthurian uh, legends. So, um, which is crazy, right? Um, so, so traditionally, apparently, Marissa, and this is what I learned, <laughs> so Unicron not only isn't Earth, but it's not actually a planet at all. Instead, the concept first introduced in the 86 animated Transformers, the movie, was something that originally looked like a planet, but turned out to be a massive Transformer himself. Wouldn't that be funny if Earth was a Transformer? Oh, <laughs> mind blown. It would make <laughs> sense. It would make so, sense. Um, so Unicron is the same given to Agent Enemy of Cybertron. Uh, you know, it, 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 I don't even think that they know. And what, what it was actually a pretty good setup to the Unicron. Sure. Because they explained there are, what, what was it, six horns all over the world. And now knowing that we've had dinosaur transformers and all that. <laughs> and there was like a pet triceratops right. transformer. I was like, okay, cool. Um, but then when there was like that big reveal at the end, it's like, oh, there's a bigger one. I was like, right. that makes sense. If those yeah. six were actually part of a bigger one, mm-hmm. what is it? They'll probably be in the next film. Yeah, I, you know, I, I did. Um, when you're speaking of uh, like big and these six, I did like the Transformer Knights. The Transformer Knights were pretty, pretty cool. freaking cool. <laughs> they were cool. I what mean, the hell am I watching? But they were cool. But again. That's the cool thing about the Arthurian legend, known right. for knights in the round table. Right. Why not make half Transformers that are knights? That was awesome. Yes, I'm actually all for that. <laughs> that and when I saw them on screen, I was like, this is pretty freaking cool. cool. Yeah. And uh, we have yet another movie that, 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 that was Stonehenge-related. Um, they actually filmed in Stonehenge, but they blew up. Obviously, a fake Stonehenge, but Michael Bay yeah, actually they, they the audition, re- <laughs> they re- they redid it. Imagined but Michael Bay actually did throw out there. I think they let us blow up parts of Stonehenge, and they, that was when they were like, yeah. no, dude, they, they're trying to restore it <laughs> because well, we can help them with that." Um, 
So uh, now, what did you think about the, the, the? I guess the movie's main villain is this Quintessa. Quintessa, who who hypnotizes Prime, and I'm all for a badass female villain as well. Right, that's cool to watch. Did, did you like how she shows up at the end of the movie? Like, did you watch a post-credits oh, scene? Oh, heck no. No, I got the... my ass out of there as quick as I could. Understood. <laughs> Admittedly Understood. so. Understood. Um, you know, I they're, they're, they're in the post-credits scene suggests that Unicron slash Earth isn't exactly what everyone thinks after all when Contessa shows up in human form. Um, and even she, she even says that he doesn't like to be touched when referring to one of the new structures that appeared on Earth during the movie. Mm. So um, I did like okay. the character of Condessa. I felt that Optimus Prime sort of kind of, like, he, he was pretty easy to, like, hip, yep, that's it. I'm, you know, I'm a bad guy now. But I will well, he say... Was pretty easy to control. Yeah. Um, which is, you know, really unfortunate because Optimus Prime is arguably, like the best, strongest character. You sure. think he'd be that hard to get swayed in, mm-hmm. but, like, or to take over control by someone else. Right. It was interesting to see our biggest, you can say our biggest protagonist right. to turn evil, um, which is unfortunate to watch, but it, it was just, it was too easy how he got changed. Yeah, well, I liked <laughs> how he got changed, and I have to say, and I'm going to throw this out to Nerdstalgia and support film art, because they're out there. Um, and, and also, is that Jonas Tiger? Um, I'm trying to read on a screen, and my, 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 my eyesight's not that great. So I'm going to throw this out to you. When Optimus Prime becomes good again, and he says, I am Optimus Prime, at that point, my mind was like already melted to mush. I was <laughs> like, oh, awesome. <laughs> I was like, great. He was, and it was Peter just, Cullen, man. The, Peter Cullen. It was the, it was the he voice. He could do the voice. The voice. And I thought that scene was awesome. Uh, I really liked, like, I, again, like, it just felt great. And I think it was also great because that is a, a good feeling when they first established it in the first film. You're like, oh, <sighs> this is pretty cool. Mm-hmm. I am Optimus Prime. I, like, yeah. everyone said that over and over and awesome. over again. And to hear it again, it's just like that sense of, ah, everything's going to be right with the world, you know? And there was a great fight, though, too. You have to admit, like, to see Optimus Prime with his sword, and and again, the way that it was filmed, and he takes out those Decepticons by lopping off their head, again, in IMAX, or XD 3D, it looked amazing. And I will say, this movie... I like the look of Quintessa. Sorry, Quintessa I'm, was cool. I'm not she was sort all of over the place. Boring-ish. No, but 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 she was. A, she was she cool. A cool. She reminded look. me of like a Medusa type of look. Sort of, kind of. Yeah, I, I. She had a great look. I, I agree with you 100. percent I felt that the movie had a good look. I'm going to ask you this because again, starting from Revenge of the Fallen, that's to me when things just went haywire, and I was having hard times figuring out who's fighting who and what. Is this an Autobot, Decepticon? But in this movie, I actually felt that I did get a sense of who the good guys were, who the good robots were, and who the bad robots were. And I got a better feel of the fight. Like, it wasn't, again, I know, it wasn't as all over the place as they have been in the past. 
And I, I don't know. In this movie, I seem to, maybe because I'm almost used to the rhythm, <laughs> which is sad to say, but I might, by the fifth movie, it took me to, oh, okay, that's that that's an Autobot, that's a Decepticon, there's probably, right. I right. felt like I knew what was almost going on in the fighting. And maybe the, not and the plotting, like but the fighting. the un- unfortunate thing, too, because we have seen so many different <clears throat> Transformers now that it's just, the, the roster is huge. And when there was that moment where, uh, 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 <laughs> <laughs> that may be sorry i'm not the well-versed in transformers um the the main bad dude <laughs> uh, um megatron. megatron megatron thank you oh my god megatron my, my brain was <laughs> surprised that I even, there just I'm like this movie I even do that. megatron when megatron was explaining or like telling trying to like strike that deal like hey i want my Transformer, my Decepticons, um, and he was listing them all off. It kind of did, and we're trying to bring in, not bring in another franchise, but it reminded me of Suicide Squad. Like, these are all the bad Decepticons that I want on my team. Right. You know, he was making his pleas. Like, if you're going to, if I'm going to work with you, you got to give me my guys back. I'm, I'm like, glad, oh, well, I'm great. glad you, you know, I'm glad you said that too, because in, Again, I brought up earlier, do I watch Manos in the Hands of Fate or would I choose Plan 9 from Out of Space? I'd choose Plan 9 from Out of Space. If given the choice of Suicide Squad or a Transformer movie, for some reason I'm going to a Transformer movie. Yeah, but that's, <laughs> but, the, that's the thing. We've seen so many Transformers that you kind of, well, maybe I'm just speaking for myself, you kind of forget who's the actual Decepticon and who's a, trans, a good Autobot. Right. Like, there's so many you have to remember who's good and who's bad. And and I'm going to throw this out there, too. I think part of that, not only is Michael Bay's direction maybe a little more focused, but I think, too, um, Jonathan Sala, who's the cinematographer of this movie, mm-hmm. he also worked on movies like John Wick. Okay? Yes, yes, he did. And when you're working on... And he's going to do this uh, this upcoming movie. He's doing Atomic Blonde. He he was he shot Atomic Blonde with Char- the upcoming Charlize Theron movie. So that looks fun. It does look like a ton of fun. I can't wait. Um, but in John Wick, one thing that we know about John Wick is through all the mayhem, the John the first John Wick movie like looked like New York in the nighttime never looked better. And with all the mayhem that was going on in John Wick you were still able to see what was happening, which is which I think helped in this movie too. We were actually able to see what's going on in the fighting, and I actually think that helped Michael Bay. And it helped at least those big fight scenes work. Uh, I thought he did a really uh, I thought he did a really good job. This was probably the maybe because it was filmed in that native three D, to me it was the best looking Transformer movie. Um, again, I, I told oh, you. Yeah. I got, you I definitely got, got the scope of the film. So, all right. I want to talk about, um, why don't we move on to reception, reviews, all that fun stuff that we that we always talk about. I'm trying to think. Uh, I'm trying to see what if there's any other I want to shout out to uh, any of our fine people. People are, are enjoying uh, yeah. Colin as the voice. Yeah. He's great. He, he's great. I mean, he's, he is a yeah, good. I he's mean, great. He, and we love him from the 80s films. He has Absolutely. a great, great career. Um, real quickly, before reception, actually. Sure. Um, because we know this movie took 
place literally all over the world. Some <laughs> cool filming locations that yeah. they used. They were in Detroit. They used um, uh, like the the 1928 Fisher Building. Right. Um, they had abandoned former luxury cars. Uh, the cars factory Packard automotive plant mm-hmm. um, served as that that one location with like that that junkyard kind of right where, where, rubble where we what, saw yeah, it at yeah, the beginning. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and in Arizona, they used the Luke Air Force Base in Glendale. In the UK, they went to you know Northumberland, which we saw a right. lot of um, you know the Knights of the Round Table. Um, um, that that meeting there was at the I'm, I'm sorry I'm going to butcher this <laughs> the the Rivola abbey in north yorkshire and um in oxfordshire the the blenheim palace was where they had the, that nazi world war ii scene. right right um pretty <laughs> pretty neat things yeah like it, we went to the all these transformers are pretty much connected to every historical event and in the Bumble, world. But Bumblebee takes out the Third Reich. Yeah. And he was a, he and was I a liked, Volkswagen. <laughs> right, and I liked how they mentioned that the wa- that watch Transformers, the one that actually killed Adolf Hitler. And I was like, I actually laughed at that. That's, that was pretty brilliant. How crazy. Again, <laughs> like, at that, that point. explains it. That yeah. explains everything. Um, yeah, and when in London, they used uh, St. Barthes. St. Bartholomew, the Great Church. Um, a lot of cool places like North. They use the Norwegian landmarks. Do you have the... Um, there was a location in England that they hadn't filmed that, that they really had to get special permission to film on. It was a street. Um, and mm. it was like one of the first times that there was like a production or there hadn't been a production there in a long time. But you're right. They went... It was almost like a James Bond movie with all the locations that they were filming. Yeah, no, at, seriously. Right? Like you saw basically all of UK. Yeah. Um pretty pretty neat. And even Laura Haddock says, you know, she she comes from the UK. She says, Michael Bay literally took us on a tour of the UK. He just basically looked at a book and was like, Where should you go and visit? And mm-hmm. he just went and visited and filmed there and blew it up. <laughs> so yeah, it was awesome. We did Blenheim Palace, we did Stonehenge, we did the university in Oxford, we did quarries in Wales. It was just amazing. Actually, he took us on a tour of my home. That's what yeah. she said. I was like, that's pretty cool because you did see yeah. all of the UK. You know, one other thing, too, about Michael Bay, and if you were watching that video, um, and for those who are just listening, maybe you'll go back and you'll find this video that we just showed. Um, when Michael Bay is working, he, at least from what they allow out, he's he always seems happy. Like, he just seems to be, like, a kid in a candy store all the time. Well, he's he's blowing shit up. I mean, that is a kid in a candy store stream. Agreed. But to me, that's sort of kind of refreshing. Like, when he's there and he's like, oh, yeah, this is going to be great. Okay, guys, we're filming an IMAX. You guys are going to be, you like, I need more from you because you're going to blow stuff up. And now we're going to make it look pretty. Yeah. And there's something about that, that childlike quality as as a director for the Transformer movies, and, I, and I'm pretty sure he takes it, even if he's doing a 13 hours, a much more serious movie. Mm-hmm. But you at least understand now where he's, where he, how he is and how he works. So I, I respect that. And, and of course, Paramount gives him the budget. This one comes in at about, its production budget was like 217. 217 estimated. So it's, it's with all of their hard drives, advertising, 
world premieres, which they had a world premiere in China. Yeah. Huge in China, by the ways. Huge. And I, and I know China put in some money for, for the, the last budget. film, mm-hmm. especially because it took place in China. Yeah. So. And huge. Like the, the, um, the, the premiere I know streamed live and, and they, all the fans had come out. So, uh, you know, you're talking close to 300, 275 or so million dollars into this movie. Now, the reception wise, look, I think it was uh, support film art. Uh, I don't disagree when you say at the mere mention of a Transformer movie, like people are already, like reviewers are already, uh, like they're already, there's already a negative mindset negative connotation towards it which is unfair because there are people who enjoyed this film yeah and if they just followed my rules maybe they would just look at them a little bit differently but tomatoes they they are they're they're for reviewing a transformer movie you can't you can't look at them like other movies but 15 percent on rotten tomatoes pretty low that's the that's extremely low but on cinema score it got a b plus so you know the audiences didn't the audiences didn't hate it. They didn't love it as much. But, you know, a B-plus isn't that bad. And I don't really think it's reflective of a 15%. So 15% um, is a pretty low The low Mummy grade. that just came out, the 2017 Mummy, is also a 15% on Ryan Tomatoes. Yeah. So, the audience and, score is also lower than, and, and, than and I'm what Transformers is. And I'm going to be honest. If, if I was given... If I was told... You only have two options. You can either see The Mummy again, or you can see Last Night again. I'm going to Last Night. Uh, I'm going to go see The Last, last Night. night. The la- uh, the oh, last the, oh night. this yeah. night. Transformers, this The Last Night. night. Yeah. I'm thinking if, Rough if, Night. I'm like, yeah. we if, cover a lot of movies here. If given the choice. Like, if you only have two movies that you can go to, I'm going to see this one. I'm not going to go see The Mummy again. That movie made me angry. Yeah, I know. Where this movie... Just fried my brain. Um, <laughs> it fried your brain to the point you don't know if you're angry. Or not. I, I don't know who I am. <laughs> right. So um, questioning everything in the world. So let's take a look. Cinema at, score is B plus. Yeah, which you know, not but, bad. But uh, um, we can quickly talk about Steve Jablonski. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And you do score, love the music. Yeah, I think the and Steve has worked on all the Transformer films. He's done other Michael Bay films afterwards. He's worked, I believe he's, Steve Jablonski has scored every Michael Bay film since like 2007. Uh-huh. Um, so they have a great working relationship. They do. I thought the music in this was great because there were moments where there were scenes that was building up a climax and exposition yeah. and then they would cut it for yeah. a dramatic uh, joke. Right. And I thought it was actually used pretty yeah. well. And then they're like, oh, okay, here's the joke. And then they build the music back up again. Right. Joke. Yeah. They did it over and over. Yeah. It didn't bother me, though, because no. it was used properly. Steve. I loved the music. And when he works with Michael Bay, you know, for me, the best parts of his score is when Michael Bay is using slow-mo. <laughs> That's when his score really, like, comes through. Um, it's... It's it's really he, he he works well with Michael Bay as I believe his entire crew does because they know if you're working with the gentleman for twenty years like since two thousand five thank right. you right well but there are other people who've been working with yeah since, oh right right well and, Jablonski has worked with and him since two thousand five that's fifth that's ten that's 12, twelve years you have that 
this is unspoken word. Like you can communicate with just like you know what each and and I get that while watching these movies. You know, I I met <clears throat> I did have an opportunity. I met Michael Bay once a few years back at a convention in Florida show East and he was there to show off footage actually for 13 hours. I actually, mm. at that time I got to see like 20 minutes Soldiers of it. In Benghazi. Yeah. And he came out and introduced it and we just happened to pass. It wasn't like, uh, we were just passing each other and I stopped him and I said, Hey, you know, I appreciate, I like what you do. Thank you. Like, I can understand that there are a lot of people, a lot of people hate him and they're very vocal about hating him. Yeah. And we're not saying that at all. No, <laughs> no, no. I I actually would we love... We were actually praising his his directorial essence Absolutely. in this film. Yeah and, yeah, and I would love to interview him because I want... His enthusiasm when he talks about movies is similar to like when Spielberg talks about movies, when even a J.J. Abrams can talk about things and Martin Scorsese or, or even James Cameron. And I'm not putting him in the same league, but... He definitely is friends with Spielberg because this is a Spielberg-produced movie. And he's yeah. even gone on record saying, yeah, I've talked to Steven Spielberg. Spielberg, who was supposed to direct the first Transformer movie. Yeah, Spielberg has been attached since day since one. Day, well, he was supposed to direct it. Yeah. And, you know, it probably would have been much different. So, obviously, he's in communication. It was James Cameron who changed his mind, who changed Michael Bay's mind and filming in 3D. He never wanted to film Transformer movie in 3D. And after talking with, this was shortly after The Abyss, James Cameron said, dude, you can do it. You can do it right. You're going to have an amazing movie. And he changed his mind, and he films in 3D. And now he's using native 3D IMAX. And now he's enjoying it. Now he he saw it. that video. He's like, you know how awesome this is going to look? He so, loves it. I got to at least tell him. Very neat. I appreciate that. And he was very appreciative. It was just nice. Love to be able to interview him. So, um, But let's talk about the performance of this movie for a little bit. Because, uh, you know, domestically, this one was the lowest grossing opening weekend, trans you know, for, this, for, 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 for the United, series. And for again, the States. domestically. Yeah, domestically. So, yeah, it opened up at $44 million. Pretty low. Um, yeah, that's a low number. It's currently at eighty-two point one million domestically, so we know it's going to get over a hundred million dollars, right? But catch mm -hmm. this: foreign, okay, foreign box office accounts for seventy point eight percent of the gross. It's at one hundred ninety-nine point two million dollars foreign. That's crazy. That's crazy. So we have a combined total of two hundred eighty-one. Point three million dollars in box office gross. Obviously, it's not a financial, you know, letdown. Not that's yet. For sure. I mean, domestically, they can talk about this, you know. And obviously, they're continuing to go forward with Bumblebee. Mm -hmm. So um, I, you know, so so that's pretty. Yeah, good. that brings. I think that brings us into the sequel esque legacy of it all. There's a Bumblebee spinoff in 2008. 18 right. and Transformer 6 set for 2019. Which will be interesting to see. And Michael Bay has actually also said um, that the. I'm reading my notes here. Um, okay. he, he's actually confirmed that there is a writing team behind the franchise that have outlined 14 new yeah. stories um, for Transformers. 14. Yeah. 
different stories. So I'm not sure if that will necessarily translate into 14 um, movies. I'm sure it's probably in, in over the course of like the television shows, mm-hmm. spinoffs and stuff. But this is still going to continue. We're yeah. going to see Transformers for at least another 10 20 years well yeah well you know we'll be mindful to how things go that's that writer's room that's what that writer's room was 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 brought in for because if you think about it like the kids who were who loved it when it first came out in the 80s you know you know yeah they're adults now who are writing these films right so so um i want to bring up a uh i want to bring up something interesting and fun that i found uh, it's a um, it's a graphic, and we have it here. It's a big graphic because it was uh, in Hollywood Reporter, and it's and the headline is "Who really likes the Transformers movies? <laughs> <laughs> Who really does?" And you know, I, I know I'm not the only one. And just 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 from reading your comments, like you folks have are having a good time watching these. You have the same. I think I think you're thinking on the same plane. That, that, that I'm thinking on, that we can be thinking on. Um, so this company uh, is called Ranker on what Transformer fans consider the pinnacle of pop culture. So I don't necessarily agree with, I don't fall into a lot of this, um, but some of them I do. So let's, let's talk about this. The, the Transformer fan, uh, considers the pinnacle of pop culture favorite movie. Can you guess what that is? I mentioned it on this show already, and I already said I'd rather watch this movie than that movie. Not The Mummy, but Suicide Squad mm. is their favorite movie. That's an issue with that's just That's just a bad movie. Yeah. But their favorite TV show, I'm on board with because it's one of my favorite TV shows, Supernatural. Which is a great television uh, show. Okay, I dropped off after that. <laughs> now, favorite musician, Fifty Cent and Lincoln Park, <laughs> which is really funny, Fifty right? Cent, nice. Greatest film score. You talked. We talked about Armageddon. Armageddon. <laughs> also Michael Bay. Also Michael Bay. Now, here's the favorite brand: Diet Coke. I'm I'm a regular Coke kind of guy myself <laughs> best movie of all time oh my goodness catch this <laughs> it's right up on screen the man of steel stop is it. the best movie of all time stop it <laughs> no. okay now who's the greatest actor not i don't believe he's been in a michael bay no he wasn't a michael bay movie he was, he was in armageddon, armageddon. <laughs> owen wilson <laughs> Now Funniest. this is just getting ridiculous. <laughs> but this is great. So these are these are Transformer fans. <laughs> Funniest television character. It, this one makes sense. Sheldon Cooper, oh, greatest nerd, nerds, greatest the actress, lover. the greatest actress, Mila Jovovich. Oh, Mila Jovovich. <laughs> yep. Hey, well, she so was in. Sense. She was in Fifth Element. Fifth Element, right? Greatest film score we talked about. Okay, favorite teen movie. Now this one sort of kind of surprises me. Because I don't, I, I don't get this. But the favorite teen movie is Twilight. Oh, I'm not up. buying stop that. It. I'm not buying okay, it. Okay, we can stop it there. <laughs> favorite, we're at the we end. Stop it favorite there. comedian, Adam Sandler, which is sort of funny. Um, <laughs> absolute most hilarious movie ever. 
the most hilarious movie ever. And I'm not talking like Blazing Saddles this or Animal House or Stripes. Saying. This is for this people is what the Transformers people who like Transformers. Their absolute most hilarious movie ever is Just Go With It. <laughs> Also, Adam Sandler. Again, I'm not in that camp. I like Adam Sandler, but I'm not in that camp. And the favorite rainy day movie, this is going to surprise you, Grease? Grease is the favorite favorite I can't rainy this. day movie. We can Come just on. stop it now. Awesome. You just cut our mic. Stop it now. We have completely derailed this. The, the, My God. I, this is in the Hollywood Reporter. Transformer, <laughs> the people who like Transformer, their favorite rainy day movie is Grease. Hey, but Grace is great. It's uh, nothing against it. Um, you guys that are following us, is Grease your favorite? Grease was great. Movie? I mean, <laughs> that movie was literally just on. I mean, it's always on television, but it, it was is. just on TV a couple days ago. The whole AfterBuzz staff stopped and watched. Sure, <laughs> we stopped working, walked around the table. <laughs> And actually started watching it. I mean, that's a great film. Come on. Uh, J- Jonas, yeah, Jonas, I agree right. with you. Twilight does suck. This, um, this list, all right. But it's hysterical. Let's get out of here. Come on, we had to do that, right? <laughs> I had to, had to do that. So, um, but before we leave, um, I, we are, you know, for you people who are watching us who might be Michael Bay haters, uh, I do have, uh, we do have one last video to show you oh, that we're going to we? end with. Yeah, I actually think it's sort of cool. One thing we didn't talk about was the dog in the movie. And instead of me talking Wait, there about was the dog. Yeah, Anthony <laughs> Hopkins. Anthony Hopkins had his dog oh, in the movie. Right. You so, see, just too many things on screen. I don't remember. I and I it. love dogs. So, so I don't remember that. I'm going to let this little short explain it because it's better. And maybe you'll change your mind about Michael Bay because uh, he doesn't seem like he's that bad of a guy. So why don't we play that video for everybody? I think it's sort of cool. For you animal lovers. Action. Come on, Fred. I saw. Oof. Oh. Buffering. So so it's Freya the dog here. And um, why don't we try nope. to. Well, we'll, 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 oh, there we go, go again. again. <laughs> Technical difficulty, guys. Yeah. Well, why don't you just Dar- explain it before we get out of here? Well, Freya the dog is a dog that Michael Bay found. Uh, and Frey is an actual rescue Aww, dog. Like. Yeah. And he's an animal lover. And he had found this dog. And he felt really bad. And he took the dog in. And he ended up putting the dog in the movie. And it's Anthony Hopkins' dog. And he became he became the mascot for the film. Aww, as great. a rescue. I and know. Michael Bay took him. And I say to myself, well, that's I, like, Good for you, man. But here's the thing. I want to know why there's not more publicity about that in Michael Bay. Like, that is something that's obviously cool, and it's a kind thing to do. Gives this jo- gives this animal a second life. Yeah. And I, I understand. You don't, know, so you don't normally associate that with a Transformer movie. But it's not like it would take away from the film either. Right. That's just a nice um, that kind of just gives Michael Bay a bigger heart in this film, like the kind of guy he is. And I mm-hmm. think you know it's a very positive light. We love dogs here. I've I dealt know. with four different dogs in the last four hours. I like yeah. we love dogs here. I love dogs. Um, it, so so to hear that makes me like just knowing the kind of guy Michael Bay is right. and how he treats dogs. I like him even more. Yeah, wouldn't... But so good wouldn't, for him. But wouldn't, like... 
Wouldn't you have maybe liked to have heard a lot of that? Before maybe him? in the promotion of like going, yeah, hey, yeah. this is what Michael Bay did. That information is out there. I was just really surprised. I'm sorry that the video is not working. It's probably it's definitely my fault because I think I used a format yeah, that's no, not. It's, it's it's my bad. So, but again, Freya the dog is a rescue dog. I'm sure if you Google it, you'll be able to read something about it. Uh, kudos to Michael Bay and the crew for doing that. And really, there was no harm to animals in the making of this movie. Excellent. <laughs> so uh, I think that's really cool and more should have been said and about nor, it. No harm to the dinosaur pet animals Yeah. <laughs> yes. I, so. Like, I kind of really wanted a mini triceratops. <laughs> that's pretty cool. I know. It who is. wouldn't? And, like, the, the mini wouldn't? dragon who finally is, like, in, in a sense of teething, he finally yeah. gets his fire breathing. <laughs> awesome. So, well, why don't we wrap things up? We'll, we'll do final thoughts. Um, so, Marissa... Help take us home. Well, it visually it is a spectacle. Sure. There's no denying that. It's a <laughs> popcorn film in which most, you know, summer movies are I ate popcorn while watching it. Check your brain out the door and you'll enjoy this film. Yeah. I, I, I think yeah, and I agree with you. I, I, I do think that this is the biggest and and, and the it and it looked phenomenal. It looked phenomenal. Um, but the underwater scenes and, and, and we were just all over the map. Um, for you fans who've been who've been commenting and and, and watching us, I believe that you've been fans of the movie as well. Yes, thank you everyone in, in the live thanks. chat. Yeah. yeah, thanks for Jonas coming in. Jonas Tiger, the... nostalgia yeah. support film art. You know, you guys are great. Thanks for not hating us. Yeah, well, and, and you know what though? But thanks for sticking through with us. Um, thanks for your appreciation, and I love your tag. I, I love your names. Support film art is awesome. Uh, Jonas Tiger, I like, but um, um, nerd nerdstalgia is pretty cool. Uh, Marissa, where can where can these folks and everybody else support you on Twitter? Everyone can follow me on Twitter at Serafini TV. It's just my last name: S E R A F I N I TV. Um, you can follow all of us here, the Popcorn Talk on Twitter. Um, follow our show, Movie Anatomy, Instagram, Twitter. Um, we do movies every Friday. Absolutely, and uh, you can you can support me on Twitter at dmovies one seven zero one. That's at dmovies one seven zero one. Yeah, stay tuned because we've got some cool Atomic great Blonde. movies coming on. Atomic Blonde, Baby Driver, Dunkirk, Spider Man, Spider Man Homecoming. We've got so many. Which, we, we unfortunately, have- I will be out. For the next couple weeks. No. Yeah. Vacation? Yeah. Good for you. You get one of those? That's awesome. I know. What? Mercy's gone? That's fantastic. what? Well, I'll miss you. And uh, I'm going to miss you folks who are following us online and chatting with us. I really think that that's great. You added a wonderful dynamic to the show. Just remember, you can watch us live and and do that, too, and be part of the discussion. Uh, You can always be part of the discussion uh, on YouTube. And uh, you just... Give us your comments. Be kind. Be fair. I don't care whether you like or dislike. Just be smart about it. (laughs) Um, And uh, you can download our notes uh, so you can follow along with the show. And if there was something that we didn't talk about you want to talk about, put it in the comments. So thank you very much for watching, everybody. Enjoy your 4th of July celebration. Yeah, uh, have a good holiday. Yeah, blow some metal up like my play does. Uh, Just don't blow yourself up. Be smart about it. Be smart about it. And throw a hamburger on the grill for me, folks. Marissa, have a great 4th of July weekend. (laughs) Thanks for watching, guys. Thanks, guys.
Tech, and the rest of the Anatomy of a Movie staff. We would like to thank you for listening and subscribing to the show. If you have any questions or comments, feel free to email or tweet us. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this has been Anatomy of a Movie.